0: Joe, are you there? Robert, I am here. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, it's it's been a, it's been it feels like it's been a while. It has actually hasn't been a while, but it feels well, like it's, it's been a well it's because we did that
1: bonus issue uh, episode, right. which
0: by the way, right. a lot of people liked. They did. I think they, they like it got when a we lot don't have nice Well I think they don't they
1: yeah. it's much, actually it's it's easier for us because we really didn't plan. We just talked. Which I would I would appreciate because you know I always complain that I've got too much work to do,
0: right? And considering you do like zero of the prep, (laughs) it basically is somehow ironic. Isn't that strange? But yes, but I
1: do I do the post, and I know
0: it's not that much. I mean, but still, but the post well the post is the but the post is the same. If you know what I mean, it's like it was much easier on me actually. But um, yeah. So anyway that kind of didn't really, go yeah that con- it, this conversation
1: is already going off the rails so I, I don't anyways <laughs> but so you had a good thanksgiving you i know your your I, cowboys won yesterday so you're feeling good
0: uh, you know, I, well, we're, it's, it's sort of like getting a shot of adrenaline after you've been hit by a truck, right? I mean, so, yes, I feel good today, but generally speaking, how am I doing? Well, not so great. I mean, it's not, as you and I have both lamented, our season uh, with regard to football has not been great for either team. So we'll see. And, it, it you know, I was walking down the street and I met uh, a fan uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles, who I was wearing my cowboy uh, t shirt, and he said to me, "He goes, you know, we're trying to give you the division, and you just won't take it."
1: That's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. That that's that's very true.
0: Yeah, and that's that's sort of where we are right now. And you guys are out.
1: Yeah, the Browns division. right now, Cleveland Browns are six and eight. They're completely out. But I I didn't tell you this, but the, I've seen them win in person four times in a row, and that's never happened. So the la- which is the lovely. last four home games we've gone to, they have won. And uh, and that's and I've been a season ticket holder for over a dozen years. And so that was Actually, I don't know if I've seen them win four other times. Now that I think about it, it might be the, <laughs> it might be a record. But yeah, so we're done and uh mercifully we're we it's just everything Everything started wrong because, as you know, we talk, we can go back even to the early podcast episodes where we said, Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're supposed to win the division and supposed to go to the playoffs. Well, of course, none of that happened. And here we are.
0: Here we are. Well, before we lose all of the Europeans, should we uh, actually get started with our lovely show? I think we should. All right, let's roll.
1: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
0: Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 223 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, December 16th, 2019. And with me, my good friend, and a guy who would never buy his wife a Peloton bike for Christmas, Mr. Joe Pulizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm
1: I'm doing fantastic. I would buy one for me though.
0: Yeah, uh, they're cool. They're really cool. I got a chance to ride one at a gym. They're 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 really neat. What about
1: the what about the mirrors? I like. I'm I'm like. Uh, should I should you go with the Peloton or should you do the mirror thing?
0: Well, I like the. Peloton, um, and I'll tell you why. Because and, and there's weirdly a content marketing angle to this, and um, uh, and we're gonna. By the way, folks, we're gonna talk about this in just a little bit about the whole controversy. But um, the the one of the things that we've talked about in content marketing, and I've actually been out, you know, talking about in workshops and whatnot, is their investment in content. And they their their CEO has talked about how they see themselves as a media company to deliver an experience. Um, through content through the bike. And the bike for them is literally just a vehicle, I mean forgive the pun, but a vehicle for for media. Um, whether it be exercise videos or you know their training videos or whatever or just literally entertainment while you're riding. I, I'm a big fan of the, 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 that experience when I'm on a bike.
1: Well they they're, well we'll talk again, we'll talk about it in a second, but they're doing a lot right.
0: And Oh my gosh, are they doing it right? I mean, you look at the growth rate of that company and it's 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 staggering. The you know, the 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 growth of Peloton over the last couple of years, it's it's amazing. I, th-
1: I think it's and it started with the bike, and as you see them progress <laughs> into other areas and other vehicles, if you will, uh they really are becoming the you know, I guess the, the training organization for people that want to live a, a healthier lifestyle. And yeah. I could see well, them getting into foods. I could see them I I could see them getting into all sorts of different things now that they built their base around the bike and now they're moving into other
0: areas. That's exactly right. Well, they hired the uh, and I'm forgetting um her pedigree, um but she was a major publisher from one of the major magazines, lifestyle magazines. To head up their content division. And you're exactly right. They're going to do cooking. They're going to do, you know, travel. They're going to do all kinds of things that have every relation to the brand. And, you know, and the only reason I know so much about this is because I had a client in this space and I've done a little research into the whole fitness, athletics space. And all of this over the last, call it five or 10 years, is sort of this squeezing out of, the messy middle of fitness, right? So right now you have, you know, sort of the, you know, the sort of what, what is that uh, the gym in in the in the movie with uh uh you're wow.
1: talking about Do- for dodgeball? Average yeah, exactly. average Joe's gymnasium. Average Joe's yes. right.
0: So you've got your average Joe's gymnasium, which is a discount. You go, you pick up some weights and you pay like five bucks a month. They're doing well, right? But then you have sort of the the high end, which features classes and Peloton bikes and, you know, and, you know, CrossFit and Orange Theory and all of that stuff. They're also doing really well where you spend a ton of money. And then you've also got doing well sort of the technology, personal trainer sort of doing well. What's getting squeezed out is that middle, right, that sort of classic pay 30 bucks a month, 35, 40 bucks a month for a gym membership and don't get much other than sort of disco music and, uh, you know, the, the, that sort of thing. And it's a fascinating trend, actually, um, to watch technology really drive a wedge down the middle of the marketplace and sort of drive everybody either to, you know, go work out with Rocky or, quite frankly, have this glamorous, you know, sort of class um, where you can go with other people, you know, that are like you, and sort of have this delightful experience. It's it's a fascinating. thing. You know, it's
1: interesting the the stay. At, I don't know if it's the stay at home model either, where you can get the social interaction, but you don't have to leave. Where look at Weight Watchers now, called WW, for example. You know, they. Right. I don't really. I don't think it's their class structure, their in-person class structure that's driving new. I think it's the app. And more and more people are signing up. It's much easier to go on the app. You can track everything via your uh, mobile. Uh, you can be social, and you can let p- people help you be accountable if you wish to. Uh, but that's a sep- you know, that's just an entity that you anybody can sign up for. That you don't necessarily have to go into, and some because some people don't don't feel up to that, you know, because you know you might be like, hey, I want to lose a little weight, I want to get in shape, and you don't want to. Um, put yourself in front of 100 other people that are doing the same thing. You'd rather be like, "Oh, okay, that's I'm just right. going to sign up and do it this way and and stick to it and I know a lot of people that have been very successful at that." So it's interesting to see cuz Pel- that's it's really your Peloton model where, "Oh, I can get a bike shipped to my house and I can still get that social interaction from the coach, if you will, and they call out my name and it's great, but I don't have to go anywhere." So that's a that's big That's right.
0: Yeah. And well, and that sort of brings us to um, our top of the show segment, as it were, to talk a little bit about the Peloton content, the ad that they put out that has sparked such a huge uh, controversy because that's, a, I mean, <laughs> from a, you know, <laughs> you know the, the sort of meme of, you know, hashtag there was an attempt. Um, there was an attempt at making this thing uh, sort of talk to the idea that you could basically from your home, you could sort of join up with your colleagues and your friends and, and, uh, and have this kind of experience The what we'll point to, if you have been under a rock the last, you know, six weeks and somehow missed this whole news story, um, the, what the article will point to in the show notes is, uh, from ink.com. But literally if you just Google Peloton, you, it's, you're gonna, you're gonna find a million Everywhere. stories on it. Yeah. Everybody had a take on this. Um, And so the article starts out by saying the first time I saw Peloton's new holiday ad, I felt many things, none of them good. And that was before I discovered that the ad blew up the Internet. Um, this person, the author, had said uh, that they had developed uh, commercials for Procter and Gamble over the last two get- decades, so they have an informed point of view here. I'm going to differ with that a little bit, but that's just me being really snarky. <laughs> um, but anyway, beside the fact that I'm also a human being, okay. Well, that that one, that that credential, I'll take. Um, anyway, first, let me describe the commercial. He goes on to describe the commercial um, where the so if, again, if you didn't see it. Man gifts a woman, his wife, theoretically, uh, a Peloton exercise bike. She gets on the bike. And she's got a very nervous look on her face. She starts taking selfie videos. And she takes selfie videos. And the real conceit of the commercial is over the next year, assumably, or a long time, she takes these uh, selfie videos sort of showing her journey, as it were, on the bike. Um, But let's be clear, she's very fit and quite beautiful from the very beginning and doesn't really change that much. And then the last scene of the commercial is her showing her husband all these videos that she's created. Um, and, of course, the Internet blew up with this and um, got very angry about it, which is confusing to me, but, but got very angry about the whole situation. Um, and, um, yeah, so the, what I, I guess worth talking about here is, you know, because you and I certainly haven't even chatted nope. about it a bit since it sort of came up. So what did you think about this and the sort of vitriol that uh, pet uh, peloton got for for creating this
1: well so i i did i saw the ad on television before any of the internet stuff took off it was so right so, th- so that that was so, so my perspective I. my first thought in my head was she she looks good before she gets the bike so she looks fine to me. <laughs> so so okay, the the husband, uh, significant other, whatever, got her the bike as a present, but she already looks amazing. Now she goes through this process, and then you find out at the end of the commercial that she's you know she's done this little video of herself, and you know it was so hard and all this stuff, but she looks exactly the same. So that was my right. that was my problem with the videos. Okay, great. I, I mean I see the story. Husband gets. You know the present for the wife. I could see how. Okay, well, you know, are you are you telling your wife that she needs to look better? I don't know. Okay, whatever. That was kind of weird. But then over the commercial, there's no improvement. So that was, so that's kind of odd. That's that was my take as odd. It, it I didn't get upset. I mean, maybe if you're a woman, you get upset. I don't know. Uh, so that was one thing. The second thing I wanted to add to this, because I definitely want to get your take, is everyone's talking about how their stock price. Dropped $9 billion in overall value because there was this explosion of hate on the web. But we don't know yet if the ad worked or not. I think we should put that out there. We don't know if they've sold more Pelotons. They might. Or less. Or less. Or less. We absolutely do not know the results of this. Everyone's saying that it was a disaster for Peloton because of the exposure. But we honestly don't know that because a blip in market cap means nothing. If you right. it happens to Apple and Amazon and Google all the time. Something Nike, Nike. Nike right. I
0: mean, just the exact same, you know, sort of situation. It happened to Nike. Yeah,
1: it'll yeah. go down, and then it, you know, give it a couple of weeks, and it goes right back up to where it was because people scare on the, you know, they, they're frightful of the news. They sell, and and then everyone buys back in. Um, but the thing that I, the thing that I thought, especially after reading the article, is: Have you ever
0: seen the movie Mean Girls? Of okay. course. Yes, absolutely. I
1: honestly, I've
0: never seen. I don't know why I just said, of course. Well, there, well,
1: but- <laughs> <laughs> well because I haven't. I've have not seen it. But over the weekend, we saw the musical Mean Girls. Yeah. And, you know, well, in the musical, I don't know if the, if the movie is the same, but there's the lead girl in high school that's, uh, that's the apex predator in, in high school. And then she has two girls that sort of follow her everywhere around the high school and one is always looking for approval, like anything. And she sings a song called "What's Wrong with Me," and that—that's when I was watching her sing that song. She's going, "What's wrong with me? Why can't any? Why can't she love me more or like me more or whatever?" And then she realizes it's her problem. I thought of the Peloton ad. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I thought of. <laughs> because isn't that the issue? Is she? She almost feels like. She's insignificant. That that's the whole issue, right? The, like, like she feels like there's something wrong with her, and so she has to get the Peloton bike so she feels better about herself, and her husband feels better about the whole situation. Did you not get that? Does that not make sense?
0: <laughs> so here's, yeah, well, no, it does make sense. It does make sense, and I, and and in fact, the article we'll link to basically concludes the exact same thing you just concluded, right? Which is, you know, the author of the article basically says that, you know. Uh, you know, we can debate whether it was sexist or not, and that's certainly a matter of perspective. Um, you know, I might argue that how excited she seems—the the one and only time she seems so excited—is when he sort of shows her the bike, which maybe she asked for it, right? Maybe she right. wanted the bike so badly, and he she finally got it, and and he's now giving it to her. So. Um, Anyway, that, that sort of level of analysis seems a little over the top. But, you know, but I think you're right. The trepidation—at least what this guy in the article points out—it's her trepidation and nervousness throughout the whole process that feels like it's a little. You know, she doesn't ever get confidence, right? And she does, and because her physical appearance doesn't change, then you're basically left with this sort of emotion of she's just been fearful her whole life, Um, and that's sort of now. Here's here's what I'll say to all of that, which is. You know, sometimes there, there's just bad content, right? I mean, sometimes you just don't do a good job, and that to me is, you know, if I, if I look at it and I put on my, you know, my glasses, the same kind of glasses I do when I watch a movie or I watch a television show or I watch anything that's supposed to entertain or inspire me. And the directing is bad, you know, or the acting isn't quite great or the music is horrible or quite frankly, you know, you can tell it's low budget and they didn't really invest in the right places and all of those things. And you just end up going, ah, it just wasn't good. It just it just wasn't very good. The challenge I had with it was why we are as 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 a culture, why we got so entitled to an apology for that. Right. Why? Why? You know, why were they? And there were so many blog posts that were like Peloton owns us, owes us all an apology for this. And I that to me is the part where it went off the rails for me, which is, you know, sometimes brands do make a mistake where they make a mistake, where they 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 literally, you know should apologize for something because it's just either over the top or insensitive or quite frankly just you know needs to be atoned for this to me was just not a great piece of content you know it just didn't work and so okay no harm no foul we can learn yeah. from it we can laugh at it. I thought the aviation gin thing that uh, Ryan Reynolds did was absolutely hysterical from the
1: speed from the speed aspect that's what I was oh so impressed yeah for about sure how fast how quickly they got that ad out.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And how, and how pitch perfect it was. Right. I mean, how, you know, cause that could have also been a giant fail. Um, and so, you know, the fact that they didn't, you know, and the interesting thing was, I'll, I'll just make this sort of side comment about the aviation gin thing was like, my wife is not inside baseball at all. She doesn't know marketing. She doesn't know advertising, quite frankly, doesn't care that much. And I showed her the aviation gin ad Um, you know, and we had talked about the whole Peloton thing and she looked at the aviation gin and she went, Oh, is, is this supposed to be funny? I, I I don't really get it. You know, she was just like, it was fine for her. It was like, Oh, okay. It's cute. You know? And so it wasn't sort of, so for those of us who were like, you know, like, Oh my God, how fast they are and how agile they are and how amazing they are. We, we sort of, you know, laud all this, this sort of, you know, wonderful compliments over there. But I think for most people, they just go, Oh, okay. It's, you know, it's, it's, it was fine. You know what I mean? There, it's not that big a deal. And so, I you know, to me, this, this represents sort of this place where we are. And the challenge here is, is that as marketers, as creative, as, as, as content people, we can look at something like that and go, Ooh, boy, that's, that's a, I don't want to ever take a risk if that's, you know, if that's what I'm going to risk, right? I mean, even, you know, you with writing a novel and and writing white papers and doing creative things, sticking your neck out these days, man, it, it can be a very, it can be a very fearful place, this thing called the internet and social media where, you know, you say one wrong word and ooh, you are, you know, somehow now I owe somebody apology, right? I, I think you hit the nail on the head
1: with, this whole—I mean, we're talking about Peloton, and we're we're going into the depths we probably don't need to. I think the issue is we're telling people out there that you have to be a little uncomfortable with creating content because if you're not, you're probably not pushing the envelope enough. You're probably not really focusing on the pain points of your audience, and yet when you do that, you open yourself up for criticism, like Peloton got. That, and right. that's so that's that's the issue. I'll tell you. I'll tell you firsthand. Um, there's been a couple, I I've gotten some feet. So first of all, the, and you know, this, cause you read my book in the will to die. There's, there's some very graphic scenes in it. This is a thriller. It's a mystery. It there's, there, I describe things that happen in and around a funeral home that if you're sensitive to that, you're not going to like it. I I've, I've had to take some, some pretty critical feedback from people and some that I was very, very close to that, didn't say, wow, this is really good. You're going out, you're going out and you're doing something different. And I, it's a surprise, which has been, a, by the way, 99% of the feedback out there has been really, really positive. It's, it's been overwhelming. It's fantastic. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I didn't really have to do this. I don't need, you know, it, it, why are you giving me such horrible, ne- horribly negative feedback right here? Um, what happened to just keeping it to yourself? Like, why
0: can't you? Right, why do you exactly. have to tell? Right? Why?
1: Exactly. And I, that's that's the biggest thing I did. So I'm make I'm personalizing this obviously outside the Peloton thing, but I honestly ask myself that question: Like, why are these people actively, either shooting me social media things or messaging me and telling me how upset they are that I? I mean, if you don't like thrillers and mysteries, that's fine. I but what what am I just did I just destroy your life because I described the scene a certain way? That's right. how it that's how you it know. feels. But so so content creators out there, everyone listening to this, it's tough today. But you still have yeah, to follow through absolutely. it because if you're not getting that emotional reaction one way or another, it's probably just meh, you know, mediocre. It's probably not doing anything, which is which that's is worse. Right. Is it even, right. it even talks know, about that in the article. That's the two worst things. It said really, really bad content is the one thing, and the other one is getting no emotional reaction at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 an interesting uh, thing to me where, you know, one of the things I, I wrote about this in one of my weekly posts for CMI where I said we should all hope to have a – You know, a a quote unquote catastrophe the size that Peloton had with this ad. Right. Because what it means is, is that we're actually creating stuff that is eliciting a response. Now, we can you know, we can debate over wonderful alcoholic beverages of whether or not, you know, this was a skills problem whether this was an insensitivity problem, whether this was a I didn't you know have enough people look at it before it went live problem, whether it was an actress problem, an actor problem, a directing problem, a writing problem, whatever the thing, it just didn't work. And we should all hope to have you know that kind of visibility for our creative pursuits. And if we're all lucky, we all will at some point, right That's you know that the the having that level of of scrutiny over a piece of content that you've created, you know I, I, I'm reminded of of the skin these days that you know you you have to have as a politician or anyone out there in the public eye. The level of you know the level of critique that you get for every single thing that you say and do is just really high. And without hiding into a cave, you can't be as, you know, as Brene Brown would say in the arena. Right. Um, And and it's a it's an interesting time for sure. Well, the only thing I would say before we go on the next topic is, yeah, we don't
1: we're treating this like it didn't work and we don't know yet.
0: I, I can't you, I would bet that it didn't work. But, I would bet that the, I would bet that that they from a business standpoint, I'm going to I'm going to take a flyer on that. I'm going to take a flyer and say it's not going to be their best performing ad. I think you could ad.
1: Right. You could you, I think you could say that, but look at uh, here so here's, you know,
0: look at they're not running it anymore. I'll say that. You know, they you know what I mean? I, it's like the, they should lean you know. into that.
1: <laughs> I mean, what if they did? I mean, look for example, look at here look, this is big Locally in Cleveland, Ohio, because we've got a Christmas story house, we've got a Christmas story run, there's Christmas story, there's leg lamps and windows all over Cleveland, Ohio around the holidays. Christmas right. story, as you know, when it first came out, was panned by the critics, and was, it was seen as a, an incredible flop. Well, it is one of now, mo- one of the most successful holiday movies of all time. But how long did it take to get to that point? It took a long time. So this is chapter one of Peloton Maybe two and three and four. We don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing it out there.
0: No, fair. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Could they respond with an ad that sort of, you know, pulls together the the narrative here and sort of, you know, breaks the fourth wall a little bit and makes fun of itself and is self-aware and, and, and does all that? Maybe. Yeah, maybe they could do that. They could also, you know, because one, one of the other critiques um, that I saw out there on some of the blogosphere was, you know, why didn't Peloton do what Aviation Gin did, right? You know, they weren't, you know, they're, not, you know, they're, they're too big, they're too, they're not agile. You know, it was a critique of their, and I guarantee you, I, I, I you know, I can't guarantee obviously, but I, I'll i emotionally guarantee you that the creative people at the agency and internal to Peloton had no shortage of ideas about how to do they're this. They're
1: like, a lot of them were like, let's take advantage of this.
0: Exactly. I'm sure that that happened. And I'm also just as sure that somebody went no no no. This is not the time for that. We we don't have permission from the audience right now. We you know, if we come out with anything that even smells like a quote-unquote response here we're going to get raked over the coals because people were just so angry about it that's what that's what was really fascinated me so much was the level of anger in some of these posts you know some i mean there were people tweeting on social media that they were absolutely positive that the husband was abusing physically abusing oh my the wife
1: god are you kidding i, I, I didn't mean,
0: see this no this i'm is... not i'm not kidding it's it's and and that level of i'm so i'm sure you know, sort of calmer heads prevailed and said, "Let's just let this lie a little while and see what happens." Now, will they resurrect some of that stuff down the road? Yeah, possibly. I think that would be a really interesting idea.
1: Well, we'll have to, we'll have to set something. What, what maybe after the holiday season and see how some of the sales responded for Peloton because we should get them by the end of the first quarter. That's we, true. We really should
0: come back to this and say, do a Peloton checkup. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I l- I just looked at the stock price. It's it it did its dead cat bounce and then has sort of flattened out over the last uh, six. Yeah, weeks. So,
1: But it doesn't matter until they they report earnings after the holiday season. So whenever That's that right. comes That's out. Exactly and right. what we should do is we should record both of you, you. You and I should record our daily activities and thoughts around Peloton and put it into a video <laughs> and, <laughs> and splice it together and then share it. <laughs>
0: Oh my and we'll god,
1: eight-hour documentary yeah. on and the we'll, Peloton. We'll head. sing What's Wrong With Me from Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. There we go. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right. Yep. Um we are now well into the show and getting into our article segment where Joe and I have picked a few articles from the interwebs out there. Um hopefully making you all like us a bit better because Joe and I do sing that song together. Um, And the first article is one that Joe picked here. Uh, It comes to us courtesy of Digiday. And it's uh, entitled, How the Boston Globe Invented Hashtag Subscribe Sunday. The article opens up by saying, A business reporter at the Boston Globe had an idea that drove 16% of the subscriptions the news publisher gathered during the recent Cyber Week. While many news publishers, the Globe included, spent last week promoting subscription offers to their readers, often backed by steep discounts, the Boston Globe's reporters also put some effort into Subscribe Sunday, an unofficial holiday dreamt up by Janelle Nanos, a Globe business reporter who had the idea during Cyber Week last year. After talking things over with the Globe's editor-in-chief earlier this fall, Nanos worked with the paper's audience development and web teams. Wow, fascinating. Editors and uh, writers working together with the business team. It's crazy. To work up Subscribe Sunday marketing language and marketing assets that could be shared on Twitter, as well as a landing page to make it easier to track people who clicked on the publisher's Subscribe Sunday offer. Six months of digital access for a buck. A full year's subscription to the Boston Globe costs a dollar. Per day. Um, though the Globe originally imagined Subscribe Sunday for itself, the paper decided to tap into a network it assembled last year when it led an effort across 300 different newspapers to publish editorials on the importance of a free press. Nanos' colleagues worked up a non-Globe marketing message and assets for those partners as well. Members of 40 different newsrooms participated and some more officially than others. New York Times, PR, Twitter account promoted it, Des Moines Register, the Maine Press Herald, um, a bunch of other papers. And basically, Subscribe Sunday ends up being responsible for 16% of the subscriptions the Globe sold during the Cyber Week period. Um, amazing, wonderful story. Um, what's your take yeah, on it, this? It,
1: I mean, you covered the whole thing, so I'm not going to go into that. But the, there's two ideas that I think we could learn from this concepts, at least one is anyone can create an event. Anyone can create a holiday. Uh, my friend, uh, Tom Perich, who I've been friends with for well over 20 years. Great, great writer. He wrote a book called Wacky Days. He published this book about 15 years ago, and he talked about how you create your own day your own holiday like it's you know today is orange day or something i would create or what you know today is content. this week is content marketing week which we we've actually talked about when we, we were talking at the at content marketing institute so those and, and to do so do to do a subscribe sunday does not take a lot it just takes thinking coordination and they were able to do something pretty significant and they had a lot of time to do it and it was around a good cause and all that so that's great. I think you should everyone should think about that when it comes to your content and think is this a bigger thing we can make out of it? I think there's an opportunity great. So that that's one thing, but that's only a very small thing unless you do the second thing that the globe did and that was get partners involved, get other influencers involved, whether you want to call it a consortium or whatever. The collaboration is I think was what really did this. And I've talked, and you have as well, Robert, but I've talked to so many um, enterprises out there where they feel like they have to go alone with their content initiatives, which sometimes can be cost prohibitive or just can't make it a big enough concept or they don't have the reach to get started or they don't have the uh, promotional dollars to put against it at start. Well, why don't you get some non-competitive partners together? create a consortium, create a collaboration, whatever you want to call it, and do something amazing. When I was started at Penton Media 20 years ago, we did this all the time. Somebody wanted to do a magazine and they didn't have the funds to do it or they wanted to do a special supplement in one of our magazines at Penton and they they got together four or five of their non-competitive partners and they put this thing together and it really worked and they were able to increase the, the reach by times five. They were able to just pay for the promotional dollars involved in it. So I would say, great, two things. One, love the idea of an event. But the second thing is, more of us need to be thinking about getting our partners involved in things instead of just going alone. And I and I don't know, maybe you know the reason why. I think for others, there's just a lot of content marketing people out there that just don't think of it, that, that say, oh, this is our thing. This is our story. We can't involve anyone else in it.
0: Well, that's exactly it, right? I mean, I think the the thing that jumped out at me as a marketing practitioner from this story, which I thought was so brilliant, other than the fact that it was the sort of editorial slash, you know, creative team working with the business team to come up with an offer. I mean, that you just don't see that in media companies these days, you know, sort of church and state and all of that. Um, the, The thing that really jumped out at me was That they really understood, you know, we have this concept that we talk about in our workshops and in consulting practice and all of that of of understanding who your real villain is, who the real resistance is. Um, And so many companies put the villain or their resistance um, at their competitors. They say, oh, we have to beat our competitors at all, you know, uh, at, at all costs. And so, yes, you come up with an interesting idea and you want to keep that idea proprietary Even when sort of sharing it out would actually, you know, be a tide that could literally rise all boats. And so that's what the thing that they, you know, now, whether they were direct competitors or sort of, you know, correlated, uh, you know, uh, competitors or just even, you know, complementary companies, you know, the fact that they're so regionally focused here, you know, sure, of course, I get that. So looking out at the landscape, if you're going to do this as some marketing practitioner in a B2B business or B2C business, I think you're exactly right. It's like looking out at either the non-competitive set that's trying to reach the same audience and can we basically be something that does, you know, that helps um, raise all the boats or even direct competitors. You know, I mean, I love the fact, you know, that what they understood was, is that people signing up for a subscription to a newspaper or to a journalistic experience, they're not competing against the Maine newspaper or the Virginia newspaper. They're competing against everything else that they might spend their money subscribing to that isn't, you know, so by sharing this campaign out, they're actually, you know, creating something bigger than themselves. They're creating, they're selling an idea which is ultimately at the the real heart of content marketing. Same kind of thing, you know, we've seen with, you know, for example, the, the, the example I always use in the workshop is Airbnb, where, you know, when one of the things that I learned when we were looking at them was they didn't look at their competition as, you know, Crown Plaza or Sheraton or Hilton because they understand that their audience doesn't make that decision they don't just, they don't go oh i'm going to go to an airbnb or a crown plaza hotel no for them it's not going right their audience says i'm either going to an airbnb or i'm not going to see my sister's new baby or that conference or whatever and so for them they just know that they need to get their people to travel and so that's their focus on their idea is getting more people to travel, which is why they've launched a magazine that's a travel magazine and why they've you know, bought Atlas Obscura and all those things is they just need to get people out of the house. And as soon as they get their fans out of the house, they know that they'll stay at an Airbnb. It's the same kind of thing here. If they can just get people to subscribe in my local area, they'll subscribe to me because I'm the best in that market. So I, I love this as a story of really understanding who your who your villain is here.
1: Well, it, it reminds me arguably that one of the best things that we did at Content Marketing Institute at launch was we did our top content marketing blogs, which yeah exactly which th- technically the top content marketing blogs when we launched it launched it in two thousand ten nine two thousand yep uh, two thousand whatever the, the year, ten yeah about ten so ten years ago. And everyone on there was technically a competitor because we were all, you know, media, we're trying to get attention, but we didn't even include ourselves in the list. We included everyone is in there, and we promoted the idea of this is a new discipline. You, we, people need to pay attention to this idea of content marketing that nobody even called it content marketing at the time. And that thing really – we did a press release and news release and everything, and everyone was so thankful. Even our competitors were so thankful that we did this. And they shared it out with everyone, and where did they go? They, right, they, they, exactly. they shared out our webpage. It was, it was put it probably put us on the map because nobody knew who we were. And then we started doing the CMI top content marketing blogs and it, it really worked well. So yeah, I, I wish yeah, more people I, would do that because I think you, you get scared that, oh, no, no, this is going to take away or we're going to promote our competitor. And you're like, look at the bigger, I like that. You know, rising tide lifts all ships, as you said, there's a huge opportunity there.
0: It's here's the here's the sort of very tactical takeaway, I think, for a marketing practitioner. So many times what we think of when we think of partnerships uh, are what we would call a reseller partnership. Right. So we look at the sort of landscape of people who are you know, very nice um, sort of other things to have in the suite of what we offer, right? so if I sell marketing automation software, I would look at a content management company or uh, an analytics company is sort of, they sell to the same people I sell to and I'm not competitive with them, but it's the same, you know, their stuff is better with my stuff and my stuff is better with their stuff. So what, what do we do? We go out to that company and we say, hey, listen, let's put a partnership together. And you'll offer my stuff and I'll offer your stuff and we'll get a reseller agreement together. And they very rarely work and it's sort of legendary in B2B organizations of, you know, the Barney agreements and nobody has time and blah, blah, blah. Instead, going to those people and saying, hey, listen, we're all selling to the same group. Why don't we put something together where we're selling the same idea? Right. Whether it's around software as a service or whether it's around cloud or whether it's around the idea of, you know, measurement or something else where we're selling ideas to rise all of our, you know, to raise all of our sort of megaphones rather than trying to sell product together, which may or may not work. Right. So it's that kind of idea. Think bigger. (laughs) Think bigger. Right. Think bigger. All right. That's what they said in the Peloton meeting. We just have to think. That they did. Yeah. How, How can we. How can How we-, we piss off the entire <laughs> United States? Let's. What's a good idea? I know. Make her look like she's about to get eaten by a lion before she does her. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Um, uh, one quick story we'll cover uh, basically to conclude our wonderful article thing here, and it is uh, a, uh, a an article that we'll publish. Or that did publish uh, from what's new in publishing.com. An interesting little site. I like this site. Uh, this is a good say. site. Yeah, this site's yeah, good. good. Yeah, it's job. a good site. Um, and the headline here is Mergers and Acquisitions Are Shaping the Media Landscape of the Future. Uh, this was published just a couple of days ago and basically is a retrospective of 2019 that they have now sort of. Pulled together all of the acquisitions and mergers that happened in the media space over the last uh, year. And basically the headline is 2019 saw an unprecedented number of companies acquiring or merging with other businesses. Um, in the first chapter of this year's Media Moments 2019 report, Chris Sutcliffe, uh, who is the author here, explores whether this is a sign of inevitable decline of these businesses or if it's a building of new powerhouses for decades to come. And I won't bore you with all of the, uh, the sort of mergers that happened. You can certainly go to the article that we'll link in the show notes to get that. But there were a lot. Uh, there were a lot of companies that sort of pulled together, smaller companies that became bigger companies, bigger companies that ate smaller companies. And so is this... Is this sort of the canary in the coal mine for us, Joe, about brands starting to acquire these media companies? Or what is this an indicator of nothing? Or what do we see here as a sort of signpost? No,
1: I mean, obviously, this this, is a, this website covers media properties. So they're not talking about the branded acquisitions like we, we talked about, uh, you know, Raspberry Pi that bought the two uh, the multiple publications from Dennis Publishing. You know they don't. They, I wish they would talk about that more. But what I, I guess what I could see in the next five to seven years is this same post. Most of the mergers and acquisitions are happening on the non-media side or the brand side, and I think that's what we need to be prepared for. And you and I've talked to it at length. I think that if you are a marketing person in any area of marketing right now, you need to understand the basics about acquiring other properties, specifically media properties, maybe more specifically distressed media properties, because as they go through in this article, uh, there are, there are some of these purchases that happened, uh, with smaller companies that just can't support themselves or they're mostly print and they just can't, um, can't make it anymore. So they get bought out by a larger entity and they're able to, to move on. Uh, I really do see this in the next few years as a huge, huge trend. We've only been seeing sprinkles over the past few years. And you and I have talked about, I think, all of them on this show. Uh, but I think that there's there's this is seriously going to be a thing. But it's not going to happen unless marketers see the opportunities. And right now, they're not. And that's what distresses me. Uh, because when I talk to marketers about you know, building a property or uh, creating a content marketing model of some kind, they always talk only about origination and starting it from, oh, step one, and we've got to do this all ourselves. And they don't look at, well, before we do that, let's go and see what's available. And by the way, that's what all smart media and publishing executives do. Before they create any type of organic initiative, you always look to see what's available first because it's your easier path. And marketers don't do that today, and they need to. Yeah. Frankly,
0: it's it's you know I think it's one of the challenges here is the result of the you know and which is a well known challenge over the last ten years the siloification of marketing, the corporate communications, PR, sales, um, and all those silos because. When I'm talking with big brands, right, and even medium-sized brands too, but but to the extent of big brands, you know, somebody you would you would think that would go, you know, because you can sort of see this in small businesses going, okay, that's that's a bridge too far for me, right, to acquire somebody, um, you know, and I kind of get it, you know, I you know to your point, I, I don't really, but you shouldn't have anything to do with size, but but let's just sort of put that aside for the moment, and you look at the big brands out there that theoretically you could pour cash on this for you know yeah. for, for for a moment and you and you talk to the team that's sort of they're putting together some nascent content strategy team and and it's going to do content marketing and brand journalism and all this stuff and they're sort of everybody's getting all excited and now we're going to go put a head count for you know 14 more people to fill the gaps of the roles that we need we're putting the process in we're putting a measurement plan in we're putting a you know a product plan in gear for our first you know media product you know and everybody's all excited about it you know and it's this new strategy that we're going to sort of add to the, you know, the quiver of arrows that marketing has or that Corpcom com has. Um, and then sort of you sit at the end of that meeting, and you go, well, why don't instead of really struggling over the next 18 months to hire 14 people, which is typically how long it's going to take to hire 14 people at a big brand and get headcount approved and HR and all of that, why don't you go, uh, you know, acquire somebody? And it's at that point that people go, because that's even more complicated, right? For some reason, right? Because of the corporate politics, because getting MA involved now, getting the C-suite involved, getting people who can actually make that kind of stuff happen, even at a, you know, if we think sort of, you know, there's there's sort of a, a thing in, in in B2B especially, and B2C as well, you know, the sort of lowering of thresholds of what senior level people in the organization have to approve from an expense, you know, so you'll hear uh, software vendors often complain about this, like, Oh, I'm just selling a $20,000 solution or a $30,000 solution. And now the VP or the CFO has to sign off on all that when a manager could used to sign off on all that. Well, the same thing is true in any acquisition, right? The amount of legal issues, the amount of, you know, all of those things come into play and it's just hard. Yes. It's just difficult. And so, Instead of going and doing the difficult thing or figuring out how difficult it would really be, we sort of just go, ah, there's no way. There's just, we just, it immediately becomes a, a no way. And that's a sad thing. That means that truly is sort of a, a loss of agility or a loss of uh, a capability to pivot quickly. And in today's marketplace, you've got, I mean, just to your point, you know, there will be down the road, the next 12 months, there's going to be a lot of distressed media properties that are just ripe for the picking for a brand that wants to sort of pivot into this new way of marketing and communicating to customers. And the opportunities will be there and it will be those who can actually make that pivot and do the hard things that will make it happen.
1: Yeah, that's a, and that's what you and I both talked about that at Content Marketing World was why aren't more uh, acquisitions happening in content marketing in the space? It's because CMOs and marketing executives aren't even thinking about it. It's not even on yep. their radar as an option. Which yep. which doesn't happen if you get a, a chief marketing officer like, for example, our friends at uh, Aero Electronics, where the chief marketing officer comes from publishing and used to be a publisher. So the, yep. that's that's why they're they're that's why they've been so good at acquiring properties.
0: Absolutely. Well, speaking of acquiring properties, I have no idea what this means, but. We should probably talk about our wonderful sponsor. We should talk about something that is really happy. That's going to be really awesome in the new year.
1: You know... You, you, don't, you don't think you made a connection there, Robert, but you did because... I did? Yes, and I'm going to tell you why, because we're going to talk about the Content Tech Summit. And the Content Tech Summit is happening again in sunny San Diego, April 20th to 22nd, 2020. You can register now at contenttechsummit.com. And the reason why you made that connection, Robert, is that, and you and I know this because you and I spent a ton of time on it, we were trying to... Find at the Content Marketing Institute. We were trying to find a technology event on the West Coast that we could look to purchase instead of creating something new. And at the time, it was called Intelligent Content Conference, which has morphed beautifully into the Content Tech Summit. Isn't that amazing? See you. That's, see how that happened. I, yeah,
0: yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. <laughs>
1: Content Tech Summit, new technologies and innovative processes are fundamentally changing marketing today. We just talked about some of them. Content Tech wants to help enterprise brands and their agencies master their strategies to integrate and excel in content and marketing technologies for better customer experiences. We've got an amazing uh, range of speakers from Microsoft and Airstream and a bunch of other ones. I think some guy named Robert Rose is also speaking So you need to go right now. Don't let that
0: dissuade you. Yeah,
1: exactly. So if you hate Robert, (laughs) if you don't like Robert, just come and have a drink. And you can ignore him while he speaks, but he's actually pretty good. You should go to contenttechsummit.com and register as soon as possible. Uh, and by the way, you should register multiple people from your team when you do, uh, because there's usually multiple sessions, really good sessions going on at the same time. So if you have somebody that's focused on content, somebody that's focused on marketing integration, technology, uh, you have a technologist on your team, that's a whole different uh, track. So. Go to contenttechsummit.com and get registered.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely love it. Brilliant. Okie dokie. Well, here we go. Now, with the empirically proven favorite part of the oh, show, God, it's time for stop our Rates and Raves <laughs> section. You don't have any empirical proof of anything. I do. I Two people said so, and <laughs> there are only three people who listen to this show. So that's 66.6% um, of the people. Um, okay. <laughs> of people. So, um, that, says, I, that, who know, says that? All, says people. Uh, well, yeah. The best people. <laughs> the best. People are saying. People are saying that this is true. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And how many people showed up to our show? A lot. A lot of people show. That's what people are saying. I like it a
1: lot. Okay.
0: I'm coming back with a suitcase full of evidence that this show is wonderful. Anyway. Uh, it is time for your favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen, it is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, happy Christmas or something that makes us feel like we are the Grinch um, coming down and uh, taking Susie, who's last um, piece of crumb. Um all right, so you want to go first yeah, g- here? I think uh, I'll go first. You, yeah, yeah, you go first. Sure. You've got you've got something that's really fun just, and interesting. Yeah, just and really, mine really is br- way boring. Yeah, really yeah.
1: briefly. And I think I I mentioned it in show fifty something, so years ago we talked about this. But uh, this yeah last night uh, went with family and friends to see Straight No Chaser. Are you familiar with Straight
0: No Chaser? I am indeed. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a that love. So that.
1: Straight No Chaser, uh, men's a cappella group that have been uh, touring the that from from. Uh, the campus of indiana university and they have they sold out in cleveland two shows in cleveland yesterday just tremendous this was their holiday show and the one thing i love about straight no chaser i like to- talking about the origination story this is just an acapella group that they started at indiana university nothing big and then they got together for reunion and they started to you know Go to some places and do some songs and all acapella, and it was it was nice. And then they went to a concert, if you will, and they they talked. They told the people in the audience, "Yeah, say if you want to record this, if you want to share it, that'd be great." And what happened is, is somebody recorded this thing in 2007 and shared it, and they did a song called "The Twelve Days of Christmas," which is just funny and beautiful all at the same time. And it was the uh, I think it's the highest uh listened to or watched a video of youtube in 2007 and it just went completely viral and from then they went to superstardom uh, i mean they just did the uh, the the uh, what's the lighting ceremony in new york kennedy center lighting do they do that what's the lighting ceremony you're
0: talking about the rockefeller rockefeller center, center. thank yeah, you yeah, yeah, they just
1: did yeah. the they just sang there at the rockefeller center lighting ceremony did a couple songs there And what I love, and they they talk about this throughout their show, but in the beginning, they say, look, I know when you go to most of these concerts, people say, put away your devices, no taking video or pictures or anything. And they say, please, get out your phones, get out your uh, smartphone devices and take any and all pictures and videos and share them as often as you possibly can. They actually stop in the middle and they take a... Uh, picture for Facebook of everyone they say go to our Facebook page and tag it and they basically say share everything you possibly can the whole thing a little bit and what I love about that idea is first of all it's different than almost every concert you go to because everyone says "Oh, you can't do anything and it's copyrighted and if you share you will get in big trouble so they're completely different from, from that standpoint. But what they're doing is they're removing the barriers for people to share and people to enjoy this. So how many, I th- I believe, and they even say this, the reason why, because they don't spend any money on marketing, the reason why Straight No Chaser is a big deal today, and they've had eight records from Atlantic Records or whatever they've done, and, and they're always on every holiday station you listen to, you'll always hear Straight No Chaser, is because of their initial push of just giving this stuff away absolutely for free and share it and compelling people to share it. And uh, I don't, I don't think that, Enough, we talked about some of this actually in this episode, but I don't think enough marketers think about removing the barriers to people engaging in your content and thinking about all the little things like we'll put a little subscription gate where maybe we shouldn't, or a sign up gate where we shouldn't, or you have to download this to get this piece of content. And I get the idea of subscriptions and sign ups, and we're all for that. But I think most of us put way too many gates in front of our content. And I think we have something to learn from Straight No Chaser. So there you go.
0: Well, that is yeah, exactly. Um, it is. Uh, it's funny how we didn't even talk about this, but this sort of segues into my little rant. But you know, I mean, what they've adopted is ostensibly the Grateful Dead sort of you yes, know, uh, absolutely, idea, right? which is encouraging the spread of content, knowing that they'll make up the money in other ways, right? Sort of, you know. I mean, it's the it's the heart of content marketing. Um, so. And it and, and matches well, actually, and I'll do mine because mine's very quick. Um, it, you know, if you haven't noticed, I've been on a little bit of a rant about GDPR and CCPA uh, of late, data privacy, and how content marketing is the perfect antidote for this. And, I, you know, it strikes me that we are days away, January 1, mm-hmm. when CCPA takes effect um, in, you know, it's the California law. Uh, which basically is, you know, stands for the California Consumer Privacy Act or CCPA. Um, and basically, nobody is talking about anything, right? Even less than GDPR, which is weird because GDPR was in the EU. And here we are with something that's going to affect most North American marketers, especially if you have anybody where you market it to anyone who lives in California. Um is going to take effect and nobody's talking about it. And there's an article that I'll point to in the, uh, from Digiday, um, which unfortunately it basically talks through once again, sort of the ad tech sort of uh, idea here, which is again, it, it's, it's very similar to some of the articles that came out right prior to GDPR um, that, that came out that talked about uh you know, basically how companies were going to sort of not play. Right. You know, sort of like, oh, I'm taking my toys and going home um, kind of idea where the the idea is, is that the article talks through how really these companies are taking a, you know, very cautious about how they do targeted advertising um, and how they're sort of pulling back on, you know, data sales and stuff like that. Which of course is exactly what the CCPA is supposed to do. So if I'm, if I'm one of the authors or sort of the proponents of the CCPA here, I'm going, yes, exactly. You're doing exactly, you know, this is exactly what it's supposed to do, yeah. which is curtail your efforts to sell data and to target people and transfer all that personal data across the thing. So yay, it's working. So, um, but even more importantly, is what it doesn't speak to, it talks about the idea that it's really the ambiguities in the law uh, that are truly at fault here, that the ambiguity is around, you know, what constitutes a sale of data. And basically, a sale of data is defined in CCPA as either you get money for data or there's some business value exchanged for the data. And quite frankly, that couldn't be any clearer to me. Um, But, you know, there seems to be some doubt over what that is. Just very quickly, if, you know, my friend Ruth Carter uh, has done a wonderful infographic uh, on this and we'll put the link to her uh, wonderful uh, infographic in this. Basically, if you're a for profit business and you sell goods and services to California residents, you get half your revenue from selling revenue information. So now that just immediately eliminated a lot of you. but you have personal information for more than 50,000 California consumers and you have over $25 million in annual revenue. That's where CCPA, you have to comply with it. So I know that just eliminated a a large number of you. So for those of you who can go, okay, I can, you know, think about data privacy in a different way. Great. For those of you who are part of larger brands, who are managing large audiences and doing those kinds of things. Yeah, you got to figure it out. And There are content marketing, sort of the idea of first party data isn't going away. The use of data is fine. All of that is wonderful in a content marketing perspective. It is simply how you're selling and using that data that's important. And so that's the key here is go get educated, go figure this out. This is not the kind of thing you want to sit on your hands and sort of not go figure out. If it applies to you, go deal with it because this is not a legal and a technology issue this is a marketing issue this is a content issue this is a data issue and if we just say ah eh, we can't do anything anymore then we're going to we're going to miss out this this will be the differentiator um i predict in 2020 uh, and onward forward is how we handle uh consumer privacy and data i like that's a
1: bold prediction cotton
0: yeah there we go. Let's see how it works out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where where the heck are you this week? What are you doing? you got do you got uh, the holidays coming I up? I got the You're holidays gonna... coming up. We've got a lot
1: of things planned, tons of things planned with family and friends. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, you know we talked about this before the podcast. the The big thing is we're we're still in launch mode for the will to die. Uh, and for those of you who would like to listen to my book, absolutely free. Did I say it's free? It costs it's free. it costs absolutely nothing. I'm giving it away wow. for free. Uh, by the way, in line with what we just talked about with some other brands are doing, uh thewilltodie dot and you can listen to it absolutely free on your favorite podcast player. So far the reviews are good. We've got over fifteen thousand. It's a
0: good book. Thank it's, you. A good book. Thank you. it's a good book. It's a good book. I read the book. I got the I had the pleasure of reading you read the book. it. You read it. You didn't listen yeah. to it. Everybody I have not listened to, to it, it yet, but I, I will be listening to it as well because I want to hear how that came out. But yeah, I I, I read the book and it was yeah. Fantastic. By the way,
1: yeah, Kyle Tate uh, was the is the voice actor that reads everything. Thankfully, it's not me, and he has done just a tremendous job. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, that's that's what I'm doing. Still promoting. We got a ton of promotion going on in the next few weeks, so we'll see how everything ends up. We're up to a, a very positive start. But yeah, just going to enjoy the holidays, have some fun. And uh, and what are you up to here for the night? I know you're not traveling, so that's great.
0: No, I'm not traveling. I'm working my little butt off. Um, I have a few client deliverables to finish up. I have so much writing to do. Um, and then, of course, intermixed with all of that, I have some cocktails to have, some food to enjoy, family to enjoy, um, with all of the holidays here but this is my favorite time of year it's a time of reset it's a time of sort of being able to you know huddle in snuggle up and sort of just figure out what the new year's going to bring and so i'm I'm really looking forward to it gonna be a great 2020 my friend yeah, I have a good I have indeed. a good
1: feeling about it
0: and that is our next show'll be a fun sort of uh, a look at the new year Um, we'll do you know I guess I don't know if it's really a special episode but it'll be certainly um, we'll cover less news than we will do a little prediction and sort of chat about the new year and all of that Um, so look forward to that but for this episode number 223 we're signing off that's it Um, thank you so much for all of the love that you're showing Um, hey let your friends know we're getting a lot of uh, messages that say hey we didn't know the podcast was back yeah it's back so for those of you who had shared it out before, share it again, right? Let your friends know that it's back. Subscribe, get yourself a shiny new little subscription to our show here. We're still a- aiming to be the number one podcast. We'll shoot for 2020 for that. Um, and uh, we need you, of course, to do that. All, of course, also the story ideas hashtag us up with story ideas. We need all those story ideas. We love all those story ideas. We need your story ideas. We need you on that wall. We want you on that wall. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be coming back with our New Year's uh, show next um, in the meantime if you want more of Joe uh, where do they get you Joe uh, everything's at uh, JoePolizzi.com. and you can get the book there as well and the His e-newsletter. newsletter, fancy new every- website oh, it's
1: fancy yes it's got my it's got my picture right on it on every page actually I think you can see my face so if you don't like looking yeah. at me you don't want to go there but uh, that anyways.
0: is a lot of it's, it's a, a lot of Joe, lot of Joe it's a of jo-
1: it's a Joe overload. It's a lot
0: of Joe Baca is what that is. (laughs) And how how about you, sir? Myself, it's always contentadvisory.net or tci.inc. That's our shiny new URL there. Um, And, uh, of course, everybody, have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Have a wonderful holiday season. Remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.